down to the right, back forward. Slowly, we are almost there. In the back, back. I have to come from the back to rest. Okay, I touch it. I feel it. Yeah, I, I, I mean with the back of the hand. You can feel it. Put your hand. You can feel it. You feel it. That. You can see the hands uh, deforming and you can feel it. It's amazing. You see it and you are able to, to feel the contact. That was really, really uh, incredible uh, uh, to, to experience. What is happening is we still have our old habits. And our old habits is, is that we, we are used to program robot joints to create trajectories, synchronize these trajectories to move. And, and this is not the natural way of controlling robots. So we need to take advantage of the new capabilities that is being offered to us. All this journey, I feel I'm still doing my PhD in robotics. In this podcast, I'm sharing my passion and curiosity for soft robotics, where we share inspiring stories about the work we do and how we can push the limit. I am Mara Dweeney, and this is Soft Robotics Podcast. Support for this show comes from Science Robotics Journal. I really find Science Robotics to be a great resource for reliable and tangible research where we can really push the limit of the science we do in robotics. Great way to stay up to date with the published article is checking out the released monthly issue. All the links will be included in each episode description. We will also happen to have a regular conversation on the most published science robotic articles where also you can contribute with your question and thoughts about the research. Thanks Science Robotics for sponsoring Soft Robotics Podcast. Hello, hello Professor Osama, such an honor to have you here in the podcast. It is a pleasure to, to be with you, uh, Marwa. Thank you. Same, thank you. So maybe I can go firstly for the recent uh, expedition. I think uh, if you can share about the Ocean One story. And now you have been returned from expedition. And I think that will be the scope for today, sharing this news. But can you tell us briefly the story behind Ocean One, I think five or six years ago started and the iteration uh, for people listening? Well, uh, this was uh, uh, an incredible uh, uh, undertaking because uh, uh, taking a robot uh, to the sea is one thing that is uh, uh, we have developed in robotics a lot of uh, roves that uh, can dive and then they can uh, uh, see. So with the cameras, they can... Uh, 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 go around uh, uh, shipwrecks or structures underwater and monitor and uh, bring images. Uh, the challenge we set for was to create a robot 
that can not only see but also can do. That is a, a robot that is capable of uh, interacting with the underwater environment, uh, which means that we needed to have hands, and to carry the hands you need arms, and to see the hands you need uh, uh, a head, and uh, basically we ended up with uh, a sort of uh, an avatar of a diver. And uh, uh, building a, a robot like this that can go deep in the water is very, very challenging. But I can tell you, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe uh, because I know when six years ago, it was fascinating to see the attrition. And now it go, I think uh, you mentioned, deeper than nine one meter. No. If you can share the footage, I think that's something we excited the the recent exhibition. That I think will be interesting if you can share the videos. And I think I know you will be interesting that to show us what you did in the recent exhibition in France. Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to. And um, uh, I'm going to to share with uh, uh, all of you uh, a little bit of uh, that story. So um, uh, first of all. Uh, let me let me uh, uh, remind you that uh, this is uh, uh, this is uh, a robot that uh, was designed to create a connection with the human. So without the human, the robot is not going to be able to accomplish complex tasks. And um, in fact, uh, this robot that you see here on this image. Uh, is the second generation of uh, uh, Ocean One. We we call it Ocean One K, and the K stands for kilometer. So you can see here uh, the robot concept with arms, hands, head, and uh, this robot uh, recently uh, went to the Mediterranean and was deployed to dive on aircraft, submarines, and going deeper and deeper to uh, an incredible uh, shipwrecks, and then continued all the way uh, to the bottom of the sea, uh, nearly reaching 1,000 meters, which is really remarkable for uh, a robot like this. So uh, the original Ocean One was designed actually uh, to go to only about 200 meters. And uh, the design involved uh, the concept of flotation that requires foam. And uh, because we have arms, we needed to have oil-filled uh, arms and links. So you have uh, a lot of uh, technology dealing with how we can keep the pressure inside the arms equal to the pressure outside. And Ocean One went to La Lune, as you know, uh, in uh, 2016. Uh, La Lune is uh, a vessel of King Louis XIV sunk off the coast of France in 1664. And uh, this uh, boat was sitting there until 1993. Many, many years and centuries later, it was discovered. Uh, the way uh, archaeologists will reach it is uh, using this uh, suit, uh, which is very difficult uh, to go inside because it's confined. And in order to interact, you have these uh, very simple uh, gripper. It's very, very difficult interaction, whereas divers 
uh, archaeologist needs to touch and feel and interact with the, the, those artifacts uh, in much more dexterous ways. So we designed this robot to be sort of uh, a combination of mobility, uh, manipulation, sensing, vision, uh, and this robot involved a lot of sensors. It is very complex system. But finally, uh, we can also talk about the fact that this robot had to uh, sustain the pressure and uh, that meant uh, a lot of uh, new ideas in the design of the actuation, the hands. And uh, the key aspect of the design is that when the robot is ducking on uh, any location, uh, you can see the body of the robot still moving. And there is this coordination between macro mini dynamic uh, system that allow us to uh, take advantage of the fast dynamics of the arms uh, to stabilize the system and reach and make contact without breaking, uh, exerting large uh, forces. So Ocean One is here. That is uh, the original one that was in the pool of Stanford. And most of the early development went through a haptic interaction that uh, involves uh, simulation, dynamic simulation of the robot. So you can feel uh, the, ro the objects that you are holding and lifting. And uh, uh, in fact, uh, when visitors come to my lab, this was the highest point of the demos because you wear these glasses, you see in 3D, and you are able to interact with those environment uh, through your hands and through your eyes, and everyone uh, was able to do it, even a little child. This was uh, easy because of the way this interface was designed. There is a lot of dynamics. This is the dynamic reflected at the hands, and when the hands is extended, uh, the dynamics becomes large. The effective masses at interaction uh, becomes very important. So we had to make sure that we take postures that are uh, reflecting lower uh, masses at contact and when you combine two hands to hold an object again you change the dynamics so the dynamics now we call it the augmented object dynamics that allow us to control the robot properly so the robot was deployed uh, at uh, uh, the sea uh, on the André Malraux and you can here uh, see uh, an image of the robot between these two cannon uh, of la lune and uh, you can see also the haptic device with which we interact. So the haptic device, the two haptic devices allow us to touch the hands. So when the hands uh, make contact, we feel it in the haptic device, but also to guide the robot when needed. And also we have the stereo that allow us to see. What happened actually uh, immediately after maneuvering around these two cannon, uh, the robot got caught. In fact, uh, there was a current and the robot was uh, stuck between these two cannon. And uh, I remember the, uh, it was midnight, the captain was saying, we have to leave, we have to leave. I said, what? We cannot leave the robot there. And, and here you can see the importance of connecting the human. So what do you do? You, you try to uh, basically to actuate the uh, thrusters to move back, but that didn't work. The only way... Uh, we managed to bring the robot back was using the haptic device and using the arms of the robot to push the robots uh, from this cannon. And uh, the robot was rescued, in fact, and we recovered 
some treasure that we brought to the surface and the archaeologists were very very happy about it because uh, this was uh, untouched unscratched uh, catalan vase from centuries uh, ago that came back uh, to uh, the surface uh, with the history of the sea written on it so let me just show you a very short video of uh, uh, that expedition, the early expedition, before talking about the new robot. And uh, in here, we, we are in the control room, and we are diving uh, to the 91 meters where, where the robot is. And the robot is going to reach uh, this area where you have the two cannon. You can see it here arriving. And as the robot starts maneuvering, uh, as I said, we had this a current that pushed the robot between the two cannon and then the robot was completely uh, stuck as you will see it in a second so you see the first uh, cannon was hit and then the robot went between the two and you can see the thrusters rotating without any motion so with the haptic device uh, we were able to push against the cannon I mean you can see uh, the students uh, fear and uh, finally, uh, fortunately, with, with the intervention of uh, the haptic device, we were able to release the robot and rescue it and bring it back to the surface. The weather was really bad. We, we were not able to go back until a few days later. And then a few days later, we went back and located uh, the uh, artifact, uh, this vase that we brought. And it was a very, very uh, amazing, exciting moment. Uh, I'm going just to uh, show you that moment when we grasp the, you can see it here between two, the two hands. And now we have to place it in the container. And uh, approaching the container, uh, making sure uh, the position is correct where we are going to release it. And then once you close the container, that's it. Because uh, I'm going to put the sound for a second to see to show you the excitement. So, so this was an amazing moment uh, after uh, all of that work that uh, went on. Now, I, I really want to talk about uh, uh, Ocean 1K and Ocean 1 and Ocean 1K didn't come out of the blue. They came from a lot of development we uh, pursued over the years with different robots. One of the first was Romeo and Juliet. Let me show you a little bit of Romeo and Juliet interacting with the environment and performing all kinds of tasks. This was in the mid-90s and ironing, vacuuming, uh, two robots interacting compliantly, being guided, uh, even uh, uh, moving and dancing. And then all of that went to another robot, uh, uh, Asimo, that stayed at Stanford for many years, and then we, we applied this to human motion. And all of this, uh, in fact, led us to uh, basically bring uh, those capabilities to Ocean One. I just wanted to mention at the Pinakothek uh, uh, in Munich, uh, we have now an uh, exhibit of uh, uh, Juliette uh, at uh, the design uh, uh, museum there. And it is very exciting to see it with the videos and all the things that they have prepared. So 
as I said, collaboration is very important and it can be done directly. So here the, the, hand, the wrist sensors allowing the human to guide the robot, where in here we are using the haptics and through haptics, we are able also to interact with the robot and feel what the robot is touching. So the other problem or one of the major problem building uh, Ocean 1K was how we build the flotation because we cannot just go with the same material and increase the density because the volume will be bigger and then heavier and all of that makes the robot huge. So we found a new technology for foam design which is based on hollow glass microspheres and these are amazingly strong so that you are able to go to a thousand meters but without the weight. And the robot, as you can see, became uh, similar to the previous robot, a little bit uh, heavier, but uh, uh, now the robot is capable of going to 1,000 meters. The other thing I wanted to mention is this compensator that is connected to the tubing that goes inside the arm. And these arms are filled with oil so that the pressure inside is equal to the pressure outside. But at 1,000 meters, uh, you have electronics. And all that electronics need to sustain the pressure. So we had to change all the electronics to make sure that oscillators can be still functioning. So we went to uh, solid state oscillators and all kinds of things for, for the capacitors and uh, all the electronics to make it capable of going to the sea. So let me show you this uh, short video uh, about uh, uh, how uh, the robot uh, was tested in the pool and here you can see the robot moving you see the haptic devices and you see how the robot can see through its eyes stereo uh, uh, and this is reflected through the interface to the human so in, in here uh, we, we see the stereo the two images coming from uh, the cameras on the eyes of the robot And the robot was learning how to grasp objects. Even if you miss it, the robot keeps moving and uh, get these objects. And the robot was learning a lot of other things about how to interact with uh, 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 divers or interact with two arms, manipulation and use tools and all of that. And all of that in preparation of the mission in the Mediterranean. So the mission started in um, September of last year and uh, we went to Marseille and then we uh, went to continue to Corsica. Uh, this was done in collaboration with uh, our colleague at DRASM, Michel Lour, uh, who was the director of DRASM uh, from the Ministry of Culture and uh, uh, we aimed to go to slowly from 40 meters on the P-38. P-38 is one of uh, uh, those very famous uh, uh, aircraft uh, during the World War II and Saint-Exupery was flying one of those. Then we went deeper to uh, 124 meters on Le Prote, which is a submarine uh, uh, that, uh, that also was uh, 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 lost during the Second World War. And the, the plan was to continue to Aleria in um, Corsica to reach uh, uh, a second century uh, Roman boat 
it has beautiful oil lamps and uh, this is an area that is uh, amazing but it's very deep at 350 meters then later we wanted to go to 500 meters uh, to reach uh, the Francisco Crispy which is a magnificent boat that uh, also was lost uh, uh, during uh, that uh, Second World War and it has amazing, amazing biology, marine biology with white corals, very rare that biologists would like to get their hands on, but it's very difficult to reach and it's very difficult even to collect because they are very fragile and you can break them as soon as you touch them. So we continued the preparation uh, of the robot at Stanford and we were uh, working on precise grasping, we were working on getting the robot to uh, maneuver with a pole uh, at the end of which you can have a scanner, you can have cameras and light and we built those with the flotation so that we can film inside enclosures that are difficult to reach. So finally the robot arrived to La Ciota and here is the new boat Alfred Merlin that uh, was used in that expedition and uh, the robot about to dive I have to say, you cannot just go with one robot because you need to film the robot, you need to bring power to the robot. Batteries are not powerful enough to keep the robot going for hours. So we need, we need uh, to bring that power uh, with a tether. And here is the control room. You can see uh, we are uh, all, all wearing glasses to see in, uh, uh, in stereo. And we are looking through the eyes of the robot and we are connecting these haptic devices to touch the hand of the robot so that we can operate. And uh, we, in fact, we had also a collaboration with the, the University of Pisa, the group of Antonio Bicchi, who uh, developed uh, these uh, under-actuated hands. You can see the five-finger hands that were used and we will see them uh, in a little bit. So. Uh, the first dive at 40 meters went to uh, the Lightning uh, P-38 and then the second dive one went to the uh, Locote. So let me show you just a very short video uh, about the diving on the uh, P-38. So now we are going to... So these two images are the images you see from the eyes of the robot. But uh, when I'm looking at them, I have the, the, we merge them together and we see them in 3D. So here the robot is approaching the uh, aircraft. And we're going to be able to touch and feel. I'm going to put the sound because... Forward, forward, down to the right, back forward. Slowly, we are almost there. In the back, back. I have to come from the back to rest. Okay, I touch it. I feel it. Yeah, I, I, I mean with the back of the hand. You, you can feel. It. Put your hand. You can feel. It. You, you feel it. That. You can see the hands uh, deforming, and you can feel it. It's amazing. You see it and you are able to, to feel the contact. That was really, really uh, incredible uh, 
to to experience. Then we went to uh, Corsica. Now uh, that uh, happened really later because there were some problems with the boat we had to wait until February so in February uh, we were uh, in Corsica and uh, we went to Aleria so Aleria this is the site of Aleria wonderful incredible site with uh, uh, archaeological uh, uh, artifact incredible site with so many things uh, the boat actually uh, in fact disappeared because uh, it was uh, completely uh, uh, eaten by the biology in, in the in the water and uh, you, you can see here uh, the the catching of uh, oil lamp you see the oil lamp in the hand now it was it was amazing so quickly you get uh, the oil lamp and you place it uh, in the hand and now we take it uh, all the way to another robot that is holding the container for it then we we went down uh, further to another area where the crispy is and uh, the crispy was found only in 2015 it is uh, a site that is just amazing I, I, I cannot describe how powerful the the emotion you have when you you reach the uh, crispy this is the robot on the crispy placing uh, a mirror uh, to do photometry so you see now we succeeded to place the mirror and uh, this was done uh, by going down to 500 meters approaching the boat and the boat was broken in two pieces you can see here the the crack on on uh, on the crispy L let's see how we we touched it i mean when you touch it you, you you're feeling you're very careful not to and you see these colors and then oh my god now you, you turn to the left, you turn to the right, you, you press. And for a moment, we were not able to open the hand, but then fortunately we, were, we, were, we fixed it and then the hand was opened and we were able to, to place uh, this uh, mirror so that uh, we can do the telemetry. So you can see now uh, the mirror is in the image and now we can reconstruct the 3D image uh, of uh, the boat. Uh, which is incredible uh, there is a lot a lot of wonderful images there but also it is a sad sight with all the people who were lost uh, on on uh, this boat now uh, let me show you a little bit of uh, uh, the colors around the the boat and also uh, the uh, images of that area where uh, the the there is the crack you can see uh, this crack in fact we, we are reaching a, a bathroom here and uh, touching the the, the the structure going to touch up a little bit and you can see uh, how immediately you avoid uh, make sure avoid the, the corals uh, we don't want to d d disturb anything on the boat and and th that was just unbelievable the i the the the, the all those uh, uh emotion you have uh, being there able to touch and and at the same time you are you are feeling the contact and in a place that is so deep uh the behind you under the boat where you're operating it was incredible then uh, we took the robot to uh, the area closer to Nice. Uh, 
there, then there is a, 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 an aircraft uh, at uh, 68 meters that uh, has um, uh, well, everyone survived on, on, on when this uh, aircraft was lost. But here you can see the the idea we I talked about earlier, which is to have uh, this camera and light uh, that allow us to now go inside the enclosure that where the robot cannot go. So we approach the uh, door and then we place the camera inside. You notice that one hand is is rotating the VAR so that we can rotate the camera. And uh, you can see the camera now uh, here, and uh, it's going inside, and you can see the motion uh, with the camera. This is uh, an amazing thing also to do, to be able to reach inside areas where the robot cannot go, of course, but now we are able to access and, and film and see what is uh, going on inside. So uh, here is uh, the robot going. This is from the eyes of the robot. You can see the robot approaching uh, the door and now it's going to uh, uh, put the light. So here the light on the windows and now we're going to take the light to the cockpit. And you're, you're moving inside and reaching uh, to those uh, hidden areas. Well, then we took our robot and we went deeper because we wanted to test whether this robot can, can really go to the, the depth. And uh, we uh, didn't know, but in front of Cannes, you know, the Cannes Festival, there is, there is a, a cliff in the water. So we went down, down, down to 750 meters. And at 750 meters, uh, we were uh, reaching like the bottom. So we decided to move further uh, uh, and then kept moving. You can see the robot is holding a plaque and uh, uh, the robot kept going to 850 meters and kept moving down and down and down until uh, the robot reached another uh, uh, bottom. And at that point, we uh, decided uh, it was like uh, really late in the night uh, and we decided to, to uh, stop. And, uh, 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 but uh, this, uh, this plaque uh, collected a lot of the sand uh, from uh, the area around uh, uh, the bottom of the sea, uh, you, ke you can see the sand here. Let me show you this more. You can see all the sand that we touched and brought back. And uh, the plaque says, a robot's first touch of the deep sea floor, a vast new world for human to explore. And uh, that was uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the price of Palme d'Or for, <laughs> for uh, Ocean One that was brought by a lot of people uh, who were so excited, so happy to, to see the success. And uh, that involved, the crew uh, involves uh, scientists, archaeologists, and uh, my students. Yeah, congratulations. It's very amazing. And it's very amazing and captivating to see all this mission and history. I think it's something 
Yeah, I'm just uh, speechless. Uh, again, I think what's really interesting about the design, I think um, maybe I won't ask you in this iteration of the design, it seemed the material part and going to 800 meters is deep. So can you tell us about the, here the, the sensing the, and the hand development, as you mentioned, cooperation with Pisa University being deformable and compliant, and also the sensing here, the haptics, and, and also the material part in the, in the design. What is significant part of the design, Professor Osama, when you try to see all this over the years, what was the most significant part in the design of ocean? Well, so, so as, as I said, uh, really the challenge we wanted to, uh, to address is how we can take arms, hands, to the water, to the depth, deep in, in, the, in the oceans. And uh, in fact, there are uh, very uh, uh, rigid industrial arms uh, like the shilling arms and others uh, that are really strong and capable of operating in industrial setting. But for many of the tasks that we, we wanted to do, we needed a compliant arm. A compliant arm uh, is not uh, built in uh, titanium or built with uh, very heavy metal. We had to build it a light arm uh, to make light uh, and safe contact with the environment and with, with divers and uh, to be capable of performing dexterous manipulation. So this is the challenge. How can you build an arm and bring it, attach it with a, a vehicle that is capable of operating all of that autonomously uh, together with, the, with all the, uh, the visual feedback, uh, stereo and uh, sensing and all that information. So building, uh, building robots that that li like if you take a spherical shape or cylindrical shape, it, you just put the metal and uh, dimension it uh, to sustain the pressure. But when you have an arm, uh, then you are dealing with uh, something that is going to be very fragile uh, uh, under the pressure. So the only concept that you can imagine is to bring uh, uh, some liquid inside that will have the same pressure as outside. And uh, this regulation that we have, this compensator, is taking the pressure from outside. Imagine like you, you have a, a spring and it is deforming with the pressure and it is pushing the oil, the liquid, uh, inside that tubing to go and have the same pressure outside. So you're fine. And that, from the design uh, point of view, connecting all these uh, links because you have multiple links so you have tubing going between the links that was really challenging and uh, thanks to our collaboration with uh, uh, Mecca Robotics uh, we were able to do that but then when we went deeper we had we were facing more problems uh, with the electronics and the redesign of everything so that we can sustain much higher pressure for the electronics now uh, the robots like this cannot be heavy without uh, without uh, having huge thrusters, then 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 you're going to have to lift the weight. So what you do is you you want to build the robot to be uh, uh, like floating, like in space, uh, but uh, at the same time uh, floating with the ability to. Uh, 
to resist the pressure. So this is where uh, the problem of flotation becomes really difficult uh, because uh, uh, if you go deeper and deeper, uh, your material flota is going to, to have to sustain that high pressure. And uh, what we uh, were able to do is really uh, like what is happening today in robotic as a whole is that we are uh, really lucky to have a new material. Uh, there is a whole convergence of technologies that is enabling us uh, today to build robots uh, in ways that we couldn't do it before. So this material uh, uh, is uh, light compared to anything that we had before, but at the same time is uh, going to be very strong to sustain the pressure uh, in the water. And uh, uh, in collaboration with a company actually in France, uh, we were able to uh, design. Uh, it is very complex design. You have to, to, to make sure all these cables are uh, 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 rooted in the proper way inside those uh, flota. And uh, finally, uh, as you can see, the robot became uh, really, uh, I mean, almost perfect. You don't see any cable, but there are so many things going inside. <laughs> and, and all of that, the, all of that uh, was really, really challenging. Now, uh, there, I don't know if you notice, I mean, I, I just show you a, a very, very short clip of, of things. Uh, the, ro the robot head moves and always follows the, the hands so that you can see your hands with respect to the environment you're manipulating. You have a lot of, uh, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, sensing and uh, uh, ability of control. The robot is autonomous. The robot is uh, interacting with the environment. We can tell the robot just go to that location. But the, the, the problem in unstructured environment is that you need to connect the robot to haptically to the human. So the, the, the archaeologist, the, the diver, is able to dive through the robot. So uh, to do that, uh, we have uh, uh, seven, two seven degrees of freedom haptic devices that allows you to grasp, uh, allows you to, to, to manipulate uh, position and orientation. But this, these are only attached to the hand. But the robot has many more degrees of freedom. So there is this redundancy that is used to uh, be combined with the, what I talked about in the beginning, macro-mini coordination. So everything is taken care of by the system itself. You can, uh, you can just focus on your hands and the robot is uh, dealing with the constraints with every aspect of the manipulation and the navigation uh, without the human intervention. So the robot, in a way, is your sensor. Uh, the robot is responding and asking for help, and you're helping the robot. So you're able to interact with the robot uh, in that way. And I should say, this is not only for underwater. I mean, we, uh, we don't have too much time, but I could show you how we are using this in construction. In the medical field, we are able to do ultrasonic imaging at 10,000 kilometers now. I mean, one of the things I would like to do in the future is to uh, have this robot diving and have uh, a, a school uh, uh, student, uh, university students interacting with the robot remotely uh, from uh, their laboratories equipped with haptic devices. 
and I, I think this is possible. I mean, all the technology is coming together. Uh, I, 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 I really think the next phase uh, in July, we are going to have another uh, expedition and there will be uh, more uh, complex tasks that we will performing. We are going to focus on uh, the uh, marine biology and uh, bringing samples. And uh, this is very, very challenging. Uh, because uh, the fragility of the of the corals involved, so uh, it is very exciting, and we keep uh, 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 raising the bar. And uh, as uh, we say with my friend Bruno Siciliano, we are keeping the gradient. <laughs> That's amazing. We want to ask you what maybe still missing from your vision and these explosion. When you look at robotic field, maybe this is will push forward, maybe in the sensing, maybe in the design, um, dynamics. What is the missing piece you think that we can make the robot more autonomous besides the haptic, which he, the senses, which is really amazing to touch what is happening in, the, in, in this deep level. But what's missing, do you think? And you think that will be pushed forward? Well, I, I mean, the, the, there are a lot of things we are working on, like uh, SLAM underwater. We have, in fact, cameras looking down and looking at the environment. And we, we are testing these in the pool. And we are uh, very successful in the pool. But uh, when you go to the real field, uh, there are a lot of things that come uh, even if you if you uh, keep station with the, with the, your slam cameras there are a lot of uh, currents that can change completely the configuration and the setting and it's changing the ground or changing the the um, the position of the robot so the intervention of the human is important i mean i insist that in unstructured environment uh, being it on land in space, underwater, we need the human to be connected. Uh, autonomy of the robot is always increasing, but uh, you still need even to feel, because because you, you need this connection. E even if you if the uh, robot is autonomous, you want to see what the robot is touching, whether the surface is 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 really stiff, resisting, whether this object is uh, broken or I mean, you need to touch, and and at the same time. Uh, you you are uh, given the opportunity to make corrections, and and there are some cog cognitive decisions that cannot be handled by the robot. I mean, the autonomy of the robot ultimately is let's let's say it it's it's just functional autonomy. The 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 full autonomy is not there yet, especially the cognitive autonomy is not there yet, and there are a lot of decisions that needs to be done by the human. I mean, we, we know we, we don't want to be operated uh, uh, minimally invasive surgery without without a surgeon. Uh, we are doing minimally invasive surgery in the water, <laughs> but that you you still need you you still need the human expert to, to be there. And I really believe this is going to be uh, for a while uh, in in terms of supporting the robot as the we increase the autonomy and bring more cognitive autonomy, we still need it at least to feel what, what the robot is touching, what the robot is doing. But uh, what uh, is going to be really important is uh, to think about uh, the capability of the robot to be without tether. So technology, that technology is developed. There are now 
uh, optical modems that can be uh, used. And once we have that, then we will have multiple of these robots working together at the level uh, uh, bottom of the sea. But then above, you can have, uh, you can have a, a, a relay station where you are communicating with these robots. Because uh, optical modems works for 20 meters, maybe uh, less or more, depending on the water quality. But then also the, the biggest problem is autonomy of power, the power autonomy. So you need to be able to have a, a relay station where you can recharge these robots without having them coming up if, if they are without tether. So, so this is something that, that is going to, to come where we are going to have power communication uh, uh, with with these robots in the water at that working together in cooperation, uh, you know water doesn't uh, let you use electromagnetic signals, so we cannot. I mean, in a way, water is much harder than 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 uh, the air or the space uh, because uh, well, in space you have radiation, but there you have. Uh, no signals, uh, electromagnetic signals, and you have also the problem of moving water when you move your hand and arm. So uh, the dynamics is different. You have to account for the hydrodynamics. You have to, I mean, th there is a lot of challenges that uh, we have to deal with, with, and now we are dealing with more challenges related to how we can bring more uh, capabilities uh, uh, to operate for extended time underwater uh, uh, through uh, the addition of supporting uh, relay stations and uh, and other robots. Mm -hmm. Great. Maybe I, I will go for your question from the audience. The first question, uh, hello, Professor Osama, I'm CSC student. It's hard to find roadmap to robotics field for people who want to learn in the field. So uh, the question is how to get into robotics, <laughs> right? Well, uh, th this is a really good question. Thank you for this question. Uh, actually, I don't think uh, it is really hard because robotic is multidisciplinary. So uh, whether you are studying in humanity, uh, whether you're studying in the medical field, whether you are doing mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, computer science, you are able to contribute to robotics because really robotics brings all these domains together in uh, a system that requires a, a, a physical uh, embodiment, uh, but at the same time, it re requires design, control, and in the applications, we have all these issues, but also, we have uh, uh, all kind of ethical issues we need to deal with when we use robots, and uh, uh, we, we, we need to understand more about the human uh, so that we can interact better with human. So uh, I really think it is, it is uh, uh, the doors are many and the roads are many and converge to robotics. Now, when you start uh, your your study, one of the things I always advise uh, those who would like to get into robotics in the robotics field is not to skip the foundations. Physics, mathematics, and computer science 
If you get these, you can get into robotics very easily. And, uh, and uh, getting in the field is becoming uh, uh, even more and more needed. I mean, at ICRA this year in uh, Philadelphia, we had almost 8,000 participants. I recall the time we were aiming for 1,000 in the year 2000. And, and uh, we get more, actually. I remember 1,700. But now we are reaching, coming closer to the 10,000 at ICRA. So, so uh, the field is growing. It's very exciting times for robotics. And robotics uh, is really here with maturity coming from all the years of study that we, we uh, devoted to robotics, but also by the convergence of technologies that are enabling us to build different, more advanced kind of robots, uh, like uh, what I always uh, 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 was uh, looking for, uh, which is the dexterous compliant robot. Uh, it is not anymore just the heavy, precise, industrial uh, robot. We are talking about robots that are uh, light, capable of dexterity, and capable of assuring safety for the interaction to people interacting with them and to the environment. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Sandra. Also, question, if you could solve one problem in robotics, what would that be? I think it's like... Well, uh, the, the problem is there is not a one problem in robotics to, to solve and fix it. So uh, in robotics, uh, we have, uh, we have a large amount of perception needed from sensors. Uh, we have a large amount of uh, uh, action needed by the robot. And today, what we are uh, really facing is the fact that we are very often connecting perception to action uh, at the very low level of uh, control and uh, of uh, um, uh, interaction, so that uh, it requires a lot of programming, challenging programming which was okay when, when, when we were working in structured environment where we can put fixtures and jigs and organize everything. However, today, when we say we are taking robots outside of manufacturing to help humans to be uh, interacting, uh, supporting uh, domestically uh, in the field, in all these different environments, uh, the challenge is who is programming these robots? And the only model we know about about creatures who can really interact with the real world are human. So how can we learn from human those skills? And how can we bring those skills and encode them for the robot? So I really believe uh, the next uh, phase of development in robotics is going to bring more and more uh, effort to abstract the programming of the robot from trajectories at the joints to a higher level where the robot is autonomously capable of performing uh, those skills. So skills in manipulation, in navigation, in interacting with human. Uh, 
and uh, the domain of uh, uh, machine learning is growing. However, the learning I'm talking about is how we can encode these skills, which means that we really need to remember that we have a physical system that has physical models that describe the behavior, the extent of stability, all the aspect of uh, the, the system, and physical interaction, observing the human, we need to understand what's going on. We don't want just black boxes. We need to understand. So from data, we need to go to the stage of understanding and taking those, those capabilities that we observe with the human to new capabilities for the robot, which is different. Robots has fast dynamic responses they, they, they close the loop at kilohertz. Human are much slower. Human, actually, we use prediction in our interaction with the world. So we need to realize that and encode these strategies for the robot. These strategies are amazing. I mean, once you start working on, on observing a human, uh, how we perform these complex tasks, well, this is, this is something that is very hard and we have been working on it and we will continue to work on it all together. Awesome. Also, another question. What is your opinion? Uh, no, fair, so there's a question. Before, when we expect soft robotics will completely replace conventional robotics? I think in that part of you mentioned the deformable hand, but I think it's a generic question. Your thought about soft robotics will complete. I don't think, uh, what, what do you think of this question? Yeah. So uh, today uh, we talk about soft robotics, uh, and soft robotic is developing and uh, uh, making a lot of a lot of uh, progress and success. But let me say something about the fact that we are not talking about one modality of robotic system. Soft robotic will not replace uh, the other needs. Human. Uh, but is it, they, we, we have the skeletal system that is supporting the soft skin around it. And uh, in many tasks, we need, we need the both. So how do we do that? Uh, soft robotics can solve specific problems uh, that, that uh, do not require uh, the, 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 the stiffnesses that are needed in other tasks. So we need all these different fields uh, to, to be together. And we, we never say this or that. Ocean One is uh, operating on the physical world, but around it you have a lot of vehicles. And all of these are part of the team that is going to work to accomplish complex tasks. So uh, uh, please do not try to, to say, this is the solution. This is only the, the, the way. We should not say, oh, machine learning is going to solve everything, or, or we, we don't need the machine learning. Yes, we need machine learning. We need all the technologies that are being developed, but we need also to uh, use all the models we have. Uh, we need to be really wise about how we bring all these foundational uh, uh, development uh, to building robots that are capable of doing all the different things. Robots has to be versatile, and robots can only be versatile by really integrating capabilities similar to those of human 
they are not human they will never be human but but those v v capability of versatility uh, are very important and teams of robots can work together uh, to bring different aspects of that versatility this is an excellent point. There's a question. Can we ask us? I don't have time or not? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. What is your yeah? What is your opinion in model predictive control for fast mobile system applications such as drones? Yeah, uh, of course. Th this is this is uh, 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 very important. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, not only for drones, for uh, running dynamical system. Uh, these are going to be more and more important as we go from walking to dynamic walking. And uh, as we develop uh, those advanced techniques, we are going to be able to bring in new capabilities to, to the robot system. So uh, I, I think robotics now is growing and a lot of techniques that, that comes from, uh, uh, from the control theory or uh, sensors and actuators that come from mechanical design, uh, all of these are converging and bringing new ideas and new capabilities uh, to uh, our robots. And uh, uh, we, uh, we, we really need to, uh, to realize that these capabilities are going to increase because uh, today uh, the embodiment is improving. We, we are seeing the, uh, the robots with the torque uh, sensing, uh, which means that now we can build safer robots, more compact, lighter robots. Uh, we, we see the progress with soft robotics that is enabling uh, interaction that are also safer and more uh, effective. But all of these will, will, will bring together uh, systems that we, we haven't seen before. And it is really exciting times for robotics. Mm -hmm. So the question left. In your opinion, what is the biggest current challenge in mobile robots path planning? One of one of uh, one of the the thing about uh, uh, motion planning is that uh, motion planning for robots, mobile robots, is really uh, not the biggest problem because because the number of degrees of freedom involved are much smaller. I mean, the complexity of motion planning grows with the exponentially with the number of degrees of freedom. So the problem is once you have arms with uh, seven degrees of freedom, you have multiple arms, you have the body, you have self-collision, you have... Now the motion planning problem, configuration space, see obstacles becomes really difficult to compute in real time. But even for mobile robots, uh, if we think about planning only, planning is uh, 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 some sort of trajectories that come from an instant of uh, understanding of the environment and knowing where uh, the robot is and where the robot is going. But in a dynamic environment, in an unstructured environment where you don't have access to all the, 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 the object in that environment, uh, you will advance and then you have to move again uh, back to your planning and replane again. So one technique we developed over the uh, over the years, uh, starting with the elastic band uh, and elastic strip, uh, and I'm not sure if your your uh, uh, auditor are familiar with this, but maybe everyone is familiar with potential field. 
So potential field was, was, was the idea I proposed many years ago, which is to create reactivity. So you react. Now, if you react, you might, uh, uh, with potential field, uh, attractive and repulsive, you, you might get in a local minima. So what we decided to do is to, to, to think about a plan, a trajectory that you're planning, uh, as a, um, a physical elastic that is going to deform under repulsive and attractive potentials. The attractive potentials are uh, things that we, we, we artificially create on the trajectory to, to, uh, by creating tension so you get a smooth and shortest uh, trajectory. And for, for the uh, elastic, you start with your initial plan. And as you move and you discover and see and perceive the environment, you are going to deform it. So this was done uh, back in the 90s and uh, was advanced by uh, later to to be implemented in uh, the real uh, in the real world instead of configuration space we went to uh, uh, the Cartesian space and this idea was was further further developed with uh, strategies around it uh, to deal with the uh, homotopic uh, uh, behavior of of uh, the deformation and the elastic planning so. Think about elastic planning, and elastic planning is an amazing way to keep your plan alive, corrected, updated, reactively. Mm -hmm. That's a great. Maybe a quick question here. If there is any critique or disagreement regarding you know, maybe the approaches for solving this problem. For you, do you think there is maybe, yeah, you disagree with other approaches or critique, or you don't have... Uh, well, well, I, I, I think every one of us is contributing to uh, advancing the field, and we have to, to be open uh, to all the different ideas and try to, to see what, uh, how these ideas generalize and how these ideas work. And uh, there, there have been so many great ideas in the field and contribution, and that's how the field has advanced. So I, I, I really believe... Uh, an important characteristic in robotics is not to come and approach robotics from one point of view. Uh, I'm a mechanical designer and I really think about it just from my own point of view of, of the, the, the uh, sensor I'm placing, the actuators, and, or I'm in computer science and I'm going to just look at digital information and data without looking at the physics and the dynamics or from control point of view or from any other point of view. We have to re be really open. And the success in robotics comes when we start opening our mind to every different idea and evaluating it and, and seeing how this idea works. In the beginning, uh, my work was always based on an approach to think about task-oriented control. And to it's, it's a little bit like human, a human focus on the task. I'm reaching with my hand. I'm just focusing on my hand to move but my shoulder and my body is adjusting autonomously in the background. And then there is a sort of a collision avoidance that is happening in a very reactive way as I'm moving around the object and moving my hand between those objects. So, so in the beginning, there were 
uh, uh, all, all kind of discussions, all this is th- this way or that way. But ultimately, uh, everyone realizes that actually all the different techniques uh, converged towards uh, uh, some unification because uh, task-oriented control might uh, integrate uh, every aspect of joint control that is you, 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 you are basically defining your task in that way. So whatever your definition. Uh, and then you, you can extend uh, those ideas to uh, many other uh, techniques that were developed in, uh, in different contexts. And this is, I think, very important for us to have an open mind uh, of collaboration uh, between the different disciplines uh, that is contributing to robotics. And I really think this is the only way we can move robotics forward. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Maybe since we close then, a few questions. I'll take one question from the audience. Where, where do you think the research robotics should be focused more nowadays? Software or hardware? I think it's related to embodiment, what you mentioned, the brain and the body. Which one I think, yeah. Is it, yeah. So, so for, for, as I say, for many years we were fighting with the robot rather than making doing the research. So the robots didn't have all the capabilities. I mean, we, we say we want to uh, compensate for the inertial forces, but there was no real control of the torques. So you, you need to, to, to really be able to control your torque and overcome uh, the, the friction and nonlinearities so that you can compensate for them. And those robots were 99% of robots uh, by the 20th century, 21st century were just position control. And, and uh, from the mid-90s, we were developing torque control, and we were talking about how important it is to, to, to uh, allow us to create dynamic control, high performance, but also uh, to interact with the physical world, to touch and feel and, and, and control those systems. And this technology started to happen uh, by the turn of the century, and uh, uh, it came from labs. Uh, I mean, our lab, DLR, and and uh, later uh, transferred through KUKA, and then uh, we started to see other companies, younger companies, starting and bringing those technologies. So now I see, I feel the 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 lack of good hardware that allow us to really explore robotics uh, is here, and it is happening. Uh, some industries still close their, their, their systems. They are not open uh, so that you don't access the low level of control. And we are complaining about it for, for ages uh, from, from Unimate, uh, Unimation and, and, uh, uh, and uh, to, to more recent development. But I think, I think manufacturers started to, to open up and understand the, the important role of opening their uh, software so that we can access really the, their, their hardware systems. So uh, sensors are being developed. We see a lot of development in, in tactile uh, sensing, in miniaturization of force sensors, and in a lot of additional sensors of, uh, that, that are coming. The vision uh, uh, is being integrated. We have uh, like revolutions in, in miniaturizing uh, cameras. And, and we, we are able now to, to have cameras in the hand of, of robots. And so all of this is, is really what I said earlier, the convergence of technologies, hardware technologies that are 
bringing uh, new new hardware, but also uh, we 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 are seeing faster computation uh, power that is enabling all these things to 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 really work in real time. But what is happening is we still have our old habits, and our old habits is is that we we are used to program robot joints to create trajectories, synchronize these trajectories to move. And, and this is not the natural way of controlling robots. So we need to take advantage of the new capabilities that is being offered to us, uh, like to go further and bring algorithms that take advantage of the torque control capabilities of the sensors of all of these things and stop just locking the robot joints, arms, trajectories to move along pre-programmed, pre uh, specified uh, 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 trajectories. So th th this is something that is happening now. We, we, we realize hardware is here before it was software and no hardware, so it's a cycle. There is this cycle uh, that we, we develop new hardware, we need to bring new, new algorithms, and new algorithms will point to their new directions in the, in the hardware, and I think this cycle is accelerating, and it's really a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe a quick question for some of the points. I think that's really excellent point, but maybe I want to ask you about the way of the choosing the solution or approaching the problem. And do you think it's sometimes, I don't know, where do you see the solution? Because what you're doing seems so maybe not really traditional. I mean, it's a little pushing the envelope and maybe risky. I don't know if you, maybe I'm wrong, but that's from my limited perspective. But it is, do you think in general robotics field, there is much push to go for let's go for the edge and just push here as i perceive what you do is very in that case risky and pushing the envelope so in robotics where do you see the problem lacking to approach a problem or think about solution the way you think about the problem and solution, solution. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean in robotics uh, we can we can think about uh, an algorithm and we find it a little bit complex. Then we add one sensor and we change the problem. We, 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 we can have a problem and develop uh, uh, those algorithms, but we, we take another look at the representation, we change the problem. So, so robotics is very rich. And it, 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 it lets you be really creative with, with the way you approach problems. Don't rush, rush to use uh, just like the, 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 the textbook uh, solutions. We have to think about what we are doing. We have to think about the way it is implemented. I mentioned we can now control robot at 10,000 kilometers. This is in answer to the question about teleoperation. In teleoperation, we have one loop. Delays immediately make the robot unstable. I mean, as you start putting delays. So the solution we, we brought, uh, which is uh, uh, called the dual proxy uh, distributed autonomy, is essentially to have an autonomous robot in one side 
So you have one loop here. And another autonomous haptic device on the other side, connected by an intelligent uh, interface that communicate what is needed so that you can perceive and you can operate. And that changes everything. So it is the same problem, but you, you reset the problem differently by thinking about other solutions. In fact, in robotics and in Orfield, I think the most difficult thing is to come up with the problem to solve. Solving the problem is always easy. But finding the right problem to solve is the most difficult thing. And very often we go and solve uh, not always the most important problems. That's very fascinating. Excellent point, yeah. Maybe uh, one question left. Uh, there is something where we would like to change in the ocean robot. Since you still have in July another, and you try to raid the bar, but if it's something you, you notice that you would love to change in the, I don't know, is there anything when you think about it, maybe change this aspect? So for, for Ocean One, uh, uh, we we just changed the robot <laughs> dramatically from uh, 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 the first uh, original version to what we have now. Uh, uh, as I said, the next step is going to, to be a step where now we bring uh, power autonomy and uh, that is technology. Uh, it, it is really uh, how we can build uh, uh, a sort of uh, transition station uh, at seabed or above where we robots can 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 now recharge and continue working on the cable of the internet underwater, repairing them or building uh, and fixing uh, and monitoring structures underwater. Uh, the the operations that uh, we are talking about, I mean, divers when they go to sixty meters is like flying, but when you go to hundred meter, it's coming harder and you have shorter time, then maybe some rare uh, divers can go deeper by uh, using a mixture of helium and oxygen because oxygen becomes toxic uh, as you you go deeper and deeper. So 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 the problem is there is no other solution to exploring our planet. I mean. It's just like uh, incredible that until now we haven't seen these oceans. We, we know much more about the moon and Mars than maybe our own oceans. So, so it is really a serious and challenging problem. We can have all these submarines going down and looking. We can see it. Can we bring samples properly? Can we build structures? Can we, can we place sensors? And can we uh, interact with that uh, environment without uh, some sort of artificial divers? So we really need to be able to interact with the physical world in the seas. And uh, there are so many resources. 
so many artificial structures that we need to build and so many natural environment that we need to help uh, uh, all the, the the things that go underwater we have little knowledge about so I would imagine we will have many many stations with many robots working together and uh, to do that uh, we need to add a lot of uh, supporting uh, equipment and systems that allow this robot to stay and they can stay for a long time and operate for a long time so uh, I think this will happen eventually this will happen but it is it is uh, uh, going to take a, a major effort uh, uh, to to really move to that level where you can have stationed robot operating and working and connected uh, uh, easily to human uh, on land well, that's very resourceful maybe the last question you keep telling me the last question. You keep telling me the last question. I'm enjoying it. I'm not complaining. I mean, just but uh, but uh, but. Uh, uh, it's uh, a last uh, question. From a, it's a last question. Maybe since you have the over thirty year experience, Professor Osama, I'm, I'm curious about what really uh, in the way of thinking uh, change quality or. You have witnessed robotics in more than thirty years, and and I, that's fascinating and. And you, many people really grateful for your courses, and, and um, that's for out of discussion. But I mean, what's actually in your mind changing in all these years you have witnessed all these things? What did, what is the most important thing maybe changing in you in the way of thinking? So you you start with a vision, and uh, uh, you start with an understanding of uh, of uh, uh, your understanding of robotics. Uh, so robots are the the implementation of robotics. Robotics is the science uh, around uh, all these uh, systems that we are building. And uh, you have a vision and you start working on it. But of course, the technology is not ready. And I always, I always overcome that problem by never thinking about the limitation of technology as an impediment to keep your vision and move forward. So, yes, maybe uh, we don't have those light actuators. Yes, we don't have those sensors. I would say they will come. So when they come, what can we, what can we do? And, and uh, this is different from the problem of really uh, going to engineer a solution that is going to be used immediately. Uh, so looking at the field, where we want to take the field, and what are uh, the frameworks, arch architectures you, we're building, and how we can build them. So very often uh, we look at problems and say, oh, the, the uh, I, I, I mean, these are the limitation, my battery is limited by this, my, my computer is limited by that. Th this shouldn't be at all, at any time, uh, a reason to, uh, to change your vision. And uh, uh, I think if you have that vision and you, you work towards uh, developing, proving the vision, there are always ways of demonstrating your vision, even if it's not uh, uh, with the full 
capabilities that you 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 want to see uh, in the hardware or in the in, in the computational uh, tools and all of that and uh, I, I think sometimes I notice that we uh, we just say uh, we think well computers are give me this uh, 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 speed in the servo loop and my sensor is uh, th this big and my motor is that large and, and that's it and and I'm, 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 I'm now uh, constrained by all these limitations no we can do better we can imagine the new robot and prepare for it that's really powerful powerful maybe I don't know if you have any final words like say for people listening or Robotics community. Any final words like to say? Well, uh, thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. Uh, robotics is a fascinating field, and uh, uh, as I tell my student, uh, all this journey, I feel I'm still doing my PhD in robotics.